When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My brand new book, Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth, is now available. So much more than a book, this is a guide that allows me to hold your hand through your birth preparation journey. With over a decade of experience and knowledge packed in to ensure you really are empowered in the way you deserve to achieve a positive birth, regardless of the twists and turns that crop up. Make sure that you get your hands on Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth Book now and are empowered to have the birth experience that you deserve. Hello, I'm Pip and welcome to the Midwife Pip podcast. Part of my mission in ensuring your pregnancy, birth and motherhood journeys are supported, positive, and empowering. Are you ready? Let's get chatting. Baby food pouches are estimated to make up around 25% of the baby food market. And in the fast-paced world in which we live, it is no surprise that they are a popular go-to for many parents. The epitome of convenience with no messy prep, washing up, or storage. But how are they actually made and how healthy are they? Catherine Lip is a registered nutritionist specializing in pediatric and maternal nutrition. She has over 10 years experience as a registered nutritionist in the field of infant and maternal nutrition and has worked in both the private and public sectors, including the NHS and Public Health England. Catherine now works as a consultant pediatric nutritionist, offering families early years settings and the food industry practical, tailored advice on many aspects of child nutrition, including weaning, fussy eating, the early years, and nutrition in pregnancy and breastfeeding. You can find out more by all of Catherine's links that are in the episode description. So welcome, Catherine, and thank you so much for coming on and letting me pick your brains about baby weaning and nutrition and the minefield that is baby pouches and food. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, I know you are an exceptionally busy woman. Um, Catherine was just telling me before she popped on that she is in the middle of moving from Norway back to the UK. So you are crazy busy, my goodness. So we are very grateful for your expertise tonight, Catherine. No problem. It's good to have some distraction from the packing. So thank you for the opportunity. Oh yeah. Oh gosh, packing. Packing. The only thing worse than packing is unpacking, which has just made you feel worse because you know you've got that to come to. So sorry about exactly. that. Exactly. <laughs> one, step, one step at a time. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Catherine, can we jump straight in? Because one of the things when I was frantically Googling, kind of weaning as Finley was approaching that stage, was this term, I suppose, veg-led weaning. What's the rationale behind this? Because I think traditionally, certainly my my parents, my husband's parents were kind of thinking, oh, have you given him some mashed banana or some pureed apple? And I was like, 
no, but he's had broccoli and green beans and cauliflower. Um, So what's all that about? Why is that the kind of way that we seem to be going? Yeah, really good question. Um, So the whole sort of movement towards more vegetable led weaning comes about from some studies um, that have come to light in the past 10 to 12 years or so. Um, And what those studies show us is that um, babies are born with this innate preference towards sweet tasting foods. We kind of we we knew that already. Um, And that could be linked to a sort of survival mechanism. So actually, if you take us back to hunter gatherer times, um, the the preference towards sweet tasting foods is more of a survival mechanism in the way that sweet foods um, generally would be higher in calorie, they tend to be safer, and therefore better for survival. On the flip side of that, more of the kind of bitter flavours or ingredients, um, or more savoury flavours, could be linked to more kind of um, toxic or potentially poisonous foods. And that's why we have this kind of innate preference towards sweet tasting foods, but an innate wariness for more of those kind of savoury, particularly those bitter flavours, which come with things like green vegetables in particular. So kale, broccoli, cabbage, asparagus, all of those kind of green vegetables tend to be the ones that are more bitter in their flavour. And so what these studies looked at doing was exposing babies when you first start weaning to those bitter flavours and comparing that to babies who were exposed to more of the sweeter tasting foods. So typically fruits like you were just describing, so the apples and the bananas. Um, And what the results of that study showed us is that if we do introduce vegetables early in the weaning process and we introduce a good variety of vegetables in that early weaning stage and uh, we consistently introduce those vegetable flavours, those more bitter or savoury flavours, then those babies who are weaned on vegetables to begin with may be more likely to accept not just vegetables, as they grow up but any other kind of new food so it means that you could put a new meal in front of them and possibly those babies who were weaned with a vegetable-led approach would be more willing to try and more likely to accept that food so that's really kind of in a nutshell what a lot of that research shows us now I have to add a caveat to that that it's not there's no guarantee (laughs) So I'm not offering all your listeners a guarantee that if they start with vegetables, then I wish it was that simple. Um, We we generally see these effects taking place up until about two or three years. Um, So, you know, for that first two years of life, you can hope and we can predict that babies who are who follow a vegetable led approach for their weaning are more likely to accept new flavors including vegetables um after the age of kind of two years there's lots of other things that come into play with fussy eating and it's a very normal developmental stage so i think that's important to kind of point out to listeners as well is that other things will come into play um typically 
around two years to three years um, and that can throw feeding off but if we've got a good sort of basis under our belt for that first couple of years then that puts them in really good stead to kind of move through that fussy eating phase um, and and come out of it the other side still hopefully accepting new foods and vegetables so oh, that's that's really that's, that's that's so interesting Catherine and one of the things perhaps a bit of a curveball here that I was thinking when you were talking about that kind of innate instinct that perhaps protects us protected us when we were living in the wild is pregnancy and that first trimester because I really wanted to eat jam donuts and I opened my fridge and threw out like anything green was like oh my gosh I would just vomit even thinking about it is that a similar thing um I it's a good question I don't know whether that's a similar thing during pregnancy and I think it really depends on the individual people have all sorts of weird cravings and things that they prefer to eat more than others during pregnancy so I don't actually know is the answer to your question it kind of makes sense though doesn't it when we think about that like you know that that protective in that first trimester and that development that was just came literally came to my mind as we were chatting yeah it's a good question and it might be something worth exploring I'm sure there are some studies out there and you know also it it can be about energy as well because you know often you are craving those energy dense foods and that tends to be sweeter foods carbohydrate foods you know that's not your vegetables it's not particularly the kind of bitter flavored vegetables Mm. they're the ones that we know aren't necessarily full of calories full of energy full of protein so if you're feeling quite tired and lethargic in that first trimester of pregnancy it's not going to be those those foods that you're reaching yeah you're not going to crave spinach are you in that in that absolutely (laughs) but but what's interesting as well actually um is that you know what we talked about that kind of innate preference that's there towards sweet tasting foods with babies if you think about how we feed babies for that first six months of life as well so either they're having breast milk or they're having formula milk um milk contains natural sugars in the form of lactose so again you know whether it is breast milk or whether it's formula milk it will be usually unless it's a specialist formula which do have slightly different tastes but if it's breast milk or your regular formula milk based on cow's milk protein they tend to be quite sweet too so actually what we're doing is we you know we're exposing baby to those sweeter flavors so it's really those bitter flavors and the more savory flavors that they've never experienced before and so weaning is a really good opportunity to try and expose them to those flavors so that we can put them in good stead so that you know when it comes to it and we want them to be accepting and enjoying vegetables they're not going to be totally shocked and their bodies and their taste buds are going to think oh my goodness what is this bitter flavor I've never experienced it before and they're going to be really wary and it's going to take lots and lots of time to to encourage them so um you know that's part of it as well it's thinking about you know that that milk actually is more on the sweet profile rather than the savory or the bitter profile so we want to kind of balance that out with weaning it makes sense doesn't it because babies are literally mini versions of us and if we had only ever had you know cake and chocolate or fruit and really sweet things and then suddenly someone plated us up a load of vegetables and there's probably adults out there listening thinking well actually that's me I don't eat my vegetables because I prefer those sweet tastes so it's trying to sort of I guess introduce better habits to our little ones isn't it and like you say the earlier we do that hopefully the smoother that journey will be albeit there'll be some bumps in the road absolutely yeah that's it totally oh, I love that I'm pleased that Finley's been eating his broccoli thank you Catherine. That's good. <laughs> I love it 
So one of my main questions that I am dying to ask you is when we think about pouches. Yes. Now I've used pouches for a few reasons, I suppose. I've always got one in my chain or two now because Finley eats so much, but I've always got two in my changing bag. If we're staying away, so when I've done talks and things in London and we're away for a night in a hotel room and I haven't got access to prepare and store food, or like today when we got in and we were running really late after baby class and Finley was starving. I could just grab something to, to feed him quickly. They're so convenient, but I'm always a little bit concerned because I think if I made this beef ragout or vegetable risotto myself, it wouldn't be able to sit in the cupboard for like weeks or sometimes months yeah. um, at room temperature. So how is it possible to have such fresh ingredients that, you know, clearly say that all natural, um, no added sugars, no added salts or preservatives, how can they be healthy for our babies? I just don't understand. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a really good question. I'm so glad you're covering this on the podcast because I think there are many, many parents who feel exactly the same and quite rightly so. You know, you think, how can this thing have such a long shelf life and still be good for my baby? And it's all in the process, really. So particularly in relation to babies' um, food pouches. Now, babies is the baby food brand that I am the company nutritionist for. Um, So, you know, putting that declaration out there. So when I'm talking you through this, I'm talking about the babies process of making their babies pouches um, so to begin with the um, raw materials that babies use for all of their pouches is only kind of what we call baby grade raw materials so they have to meet really specific standards to be able to be used as an ingredient um, babies will also um, as much as possible they will source their products from UK farmers so in terms of kind of sustainability and that sort of time from picking the ingredients to processing that is minimized as much as possible because we are using local suppliers and local producers um, also all the baby's ingredients are organic as well so that's really important that's a, a key thing that babies are really hot on is the majority of their ingredients are all organic so everything they produce is organic baby products now what happens to that ingredient um, that raw ingredients once we know it has met the baby regulations um, and we've got our baby grade raw materials so that's kind of a predetermined spec um, we will first of all cook the um, vegetables or the ingredients um, for around 10 minutes at 90 degrees so very similar to what you would be doing at home if you were making those baby pouches or purees or mashing up the vegetables yourself so you would have to cook that food first to make it soft enough to make your puree or your mashed food so that process is no different and then what happens is we put it straight into a sealed pouch and that's the key thing really what it does is it seals in all the nutrients and it seals in all the freshness and the goodness in that pouch and because we use foil lined pouches that means that they are impermeable to light they are impermeable to oxygen so everything gets locked in essentially Um, those pouches are then sterilized at 120 degrees so again that's different to what you would be doing at home but the The reason for that sterilization is so that it kills off any bacteria that could cause that food to spoil. So that kind of, again, extends the shelf life. Um, And it's, I guess it's like a second way of cooking. Now, what happens is because all of those ingredients are sealed in that pouch, 
before, and the cap is, is on and sealed before the sterilization process, there's no nutrients lost through cooking in terms of, you know, water soluble nutrients leaching out into the water surrounding um, the food. And, and we test the, all the pouches are analyzed um, after production. And again, at the end of shelf life, just to monitor that nutrient profile to see how much loss there is in terms of nutrients. Um, and actually what we notice with key nutrients, particularly things like the protein, that's something that we're really keen on with the, the baby's pouches and iron. Some of our pouches, um, we have what we would call nutrition claims on. So we would say it's a good source of iron or it's high in iron. And none of those nutrients are affected by the cooking process or by the extended shelf life. So we can be really confident that what you get at the time of cooking, the same as you would do at home, is what you will get at the end of the shelf life as well. And that's because everything's kind of sealed in. It's kind of like pressing the pause button, I guess. You've eliminated all of the bacteria and you have sealed in all the nutrients. So um, because they are impermeable, there's, there's very little nutrient loss in those pouches. Oh, that is, I love that. That was proper fascinating. Anyone, you can't see me, obviously, because you're listening to this as an audio, but I was just like nodding away like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I love this. Because I have been pondering about this. And I remember when I when I first started using pouches and we need to, and I was using babies, but I was, I was thinking, right, I'm only going to get the ones that are like vegetarian. Not that our family's vegetarian, but I thought there's just no way that that beef can be like the beef. Whereas chickpeas, I would get out of a can anyway. So it felt more, <laughs> felt more natural. Yeah. But and now actually, that you said that, I'm like, oh, that was ludicrous. What was I, what was I worrying what? about? Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Exactly. And, you know, actually, I think that's a good way to think about it, isn't it? Because actually when you buy a can of chickpeas or you buy, you know, a tin of lentils or lots of vegetables and fruits, you can get mm. in tins as well. And it's very much the same process. The reason that they are canned, you know, that can is sealed. It's opaque. So there's no oxygen and there's no light penetration. And that is the key thing um, with with containing all of those vitamins and those minerals. And it, you know, it's the same with something like frozen peas. Frozen peas are actually, you know, that's a, a really good example that we hear about, you know, are, it can frozen food be as good as fresh food? And actually, yes, because it's frozen so quickly after it's picked or harvested. And it's like you are pressing the pause button immediately and you're, you're sealing that in. So actually, you know, sometimes some of these, although it's a processed food because it has been through a process, it doesn't always mean that the nutritional value of that food is worse than fresh food. And sometimes because it's processed and you know, it's canned or it, with baby's pouches, they're, they're, they're put into the pouch so quickly after harvesting, um, you know, the same with the frozen food example, sometimes it could actually be higher in nutrients than food that has been sat around in your fridge for maybe, I don't know, if you're anything like me, you've got 
broccoli or carrots that's been sat in your <laughs> fridge for three to four sometimes six weeks long um so you know it's and, it, and it's like you say it's weighing up the pros and cons isn't it I think in an ideal world we'd all love to cook our baby fresh food with organic ingredients you know from scratch every single time but it's not always practical and the thing that I love about baby's pouches is that they use such a variety of ingredients so particularly with stage two and stage three meals where we're focusing more on kind of variety a good balance of macronutrients and moving more towards family foods um some of the pouches have kind of 17 or 18 different ingredients in one pouch and if you were to source all of those ingredients yourself at home organically because baby's pouches are all organic ingredients not only would it probably cost you quite a lot of money but it would also take a lot of time and resources to prepare the same sort of recipe the same amount of variety in one dish for your baby so it's you know it's weighing up um those pros and cons and what's important to you and I think you're absolutely right for convenience for ease they are so useful for traveling for being out and about you know they're fantastic um and you know I wouldn't work with a, a company that I didn't fully support or you know that I didn't feel was was nutritional enough um but because babies they very much focus on a vegetable-led approach which we've talked about the reasons why that's so important um and because they take real real care with the types of ingredients that they use the other thing I love about baby's pouches is that everything is listed in kind of weight ingredient order so there's it's completely transparent and honest in terms of its labeling and babies have a really unique ingredients wheel on the back of each pouch yeah, so I like that it just it, makes it really clear doesn't it so you haven't got to read an ingredients list because it just exactly. says like you know 60 percent potato and whatever exactly. rice and whatever whatever herbs and sp- that's the great thing herbs and spices and yeah. I've noticed that so the when I have used pouches it has been babies and the reason it has been is because of that vegetable led approach yeah. I did being and I'm sure there are companies out there um you all know better than me Catherine but I did really struggle to find ones that weren't like 80% pear with like a little bit of spinach do you know what I mean whereas babies really is like vegetables are the main thing and they taste more savory so if you are going for a veg-led approach that's really important actually to look at and that wheel is really great for that because you can see that it isn't like 90% 90% banana just with a little hint of pea it is exactly. actually vegetables <laughs> yeah absolutely and you know that was one of the things that really drew me to to babies when I started mm. working with them well and things you know that I will always always make sure I mean it's it's part of their core cool value anyway but I will always make sure that that remains because that honesty and that transparency when you look not just at the front of the pouch and the name of the food it's listed in kind of ingredient order but that if you flip it over you'll see this really clear ingredient wheel and it's you know it's like a pie chart almost isn't it so so it tells you exactly what the percentage is of each ingredient. And you know, that's so important because you don't want to feel tricked almost. Um, and, you know, other companies are getting better at doing that. And that's a key thing that um, Public Health England um, and Department of Health are, are really pushing for um, because it's important for parents to understand what exactly is in those pouches. So anything that's slightly misleading needs to be clamped down on. <laughs> A quick pause to remind you, the current recommendation is to start weaning at around six months. To understand signs that your little one is ready to start their weaning journey, 
sign up to actorclub.co.uk. Yeah, and that's important, isn't it? Because when you typically look, and I guess it's the same with adult food as well, but it just feels even more important when it's our like precious little babies that are developing in that that powerful early time. But when you look at the front of a pouch, it might say like, um, oh, let me think of an example, like parsnip, pea, spinach, and pear, for example. But actually, when you look at the ingredients, it's basically fruit with a little bit of vegetable. And that's what I really like the way that babies is kind of switch that over um, and makes it clear. So anyone, if you are looking at pouches, please, please don't just look at what it says on the front. Do have a look at the back and those percentages if you are aiming for a veg led approach, because you might find that all of a sudden your baby's addicted to the pouches and doesn't want your vegetables anymore. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, flip it over and have a look. And have a good look. I love that. So why are they different age ranges? That was my other question. Cause I've noticed that often pouches are like sometimes four months plus, even though we don't recommend sort of starting weaning until yeah. as close to six as possible. And then often there's like a seven month plus or a stage two, they're often in kind of little little stages, aren't they? What's the difference? Why do yeah. you need to be careful with that? Excellent question again. So generally weaning is broken down into three different stages stage one stage two and stage three so stage one should be your first tastes um and again this is where department of health are starting to clamp down on baby food um industry a little bit because the current government advice is to start weaning from around about six months and has been for many many years yet there's no legislation in terms of the baby food manufacturers as to what age they can put on their pouches so many of the companies will put from four months because you will buy them earlier if you put from four months Um, And again, this is something I really love about babies because they have never, ever put from four months. They've always put from six months because that's what the government guidelines are. Um, So stage one weaning should um, should refer to that first stage of weaning from around six months or whenever you start weaning your baby. Um, And the first stage of weaning is really about this very kind of vegetable led approach. It might be that you start off with single flavored vegetables to begin with. So your baby gets used to those kind of very individual sort of true, if you like, um, on their own, nothing else is kind of mixed in to disguise those, those individual single flavored vegetables. And after that, we start to increase the variety. Um, And that's why, you know, you sometimes see with um, stage one pouches is that there's perhaps less ingredients in those. We don't want to overwhelm those taste buds too much. We want to focus on variety fairly quickly, but for the first two weeks, it's a good idea to start on single flavored vegetables. Um, It's also a lot about the texture those stages. So you will often find that with a stage one baby pouch, the texture will be smoother and thinner than a stage two pouch. And stage two tends to kick in around about seven months. Um, And this is when, you know, perhaps your baby, you're a month into weaning by this point, your baby is exploring more and more flavors. So we're getting more variety in there. So stage two pouches might have a little bit more variety, a bit more flavor. We might start to introduce more of those herbs and spices and the texture will change as well. So at that point, at stage two weaning, we're really thinking about um, making those foods a little bit lumpier so that your baby gets used to lumpy foods. And finger foods are a great thing to introduce at this point if you haven't done already. It's a great way to desensitize baby's mouth to lumps and get them used to biting and chewing. With purees, what tends to happen is that babies will, they'll have to use their mouth and their tongue a little bit 
um, because we don't want those purees to be super, super runny. You know, think about the texture of kind of single cream. That's a really runny kind of texture. And that's not what we're aiming for. Stage one um, purees should still be quite thick. So almost when you hold up a spoon, they will sit up on the spoon in a little dome. They're not kind of just really runny like single cream would be kind of as a, as a liquid, but they are very, very smooth. So there's no lumps in those. Um, Stage two weaning from seven months, we want to see a few small soft lumps in there so that we're, we're getting baby used to um, having to kind of gum down some lumps. And that's where finger foods can come in really handy. Um, stage three weaning typically refers to around the age of 10 to 12 months. So you would almost call that the final stage of weaning before they turn one year and move on to kind of family foods. And so it's a very gradual transition where, again, you know, that texture would increase again. So now rather than the small soft lumps, we're perhaps looking at a slightly chunkier texture. And again, just really pushing baby forwards with what they're having to do with their mouth and their tongue, that biting and that chewing. And again, more variety will come into play at that age, at stage three age, 10 to 12 months, um, more herbs and spices and possibly they are taking larger quantities at that age as well so that's why you'll often see that the stage three pouches might be slightly larger than the stage two or the stage one pouches um, so that's really sort of the, the general overview of the three different stages um, however you know there's overlap and it's really difficult you know parents will often ask me you know what age should they be when they go on to two meals a day and three meals a day and what age should they be to have this texture and actually you know it's never that black and white I'm sure you find the same with your job Pip but you know nutrition isn't black and white and it's very much about following your baby's lead because some babies will be ready for a stage two pouch at six and a half months if they're doing really well some babies won't be ready for a stage two pouch until maybe they're eight or nine months and it really needs to be led by your baby so don't feel that this is sort of a set in stone my baby must be on stage two by seven months it's much more important to follow your baby's lead and do what's right for you and for your baby but that's what the sort of the overarching guidance is therefore just to help you progress through those stages and, and mostly through those textures. That's really interesting. And I love what you say there about the, the months and the individualness of babies and their weaning journey. Because I think that goes with most things babies, doesn't it? Like they're so individual, yeah. their milestones are going to be different. But as parents, we are awful at comparing. Like even today, my husband and I took Finley to a little like baby singing class and there was a little girl that was pretty much the same age as him like almost walking okay. and Finley is definitely not almost walking my husband's like oh she's really advanced I was like yeah it's okay though like Finley will do it in his own time he'll get there eventually um let's not rush the walking stage because that's going to be chaos well but exactly <laughs> don't wish for too much too soon that's it but food is the same but I feel like baby months feel really long like we feel like that difference between like a four month old and a six month old is massive yeah. but when we look at them when they're four or five those yeah. months are nothing so they really do all even out so if you are panicking that you know your little one is not enjoying textures or not having three meals a day like perhaps other babies around you they really they really will get there won't they they will absolutely and it's really about perseverance and just 
you know, not putting too much pressure on yourself. And I think it's so difficult with food because it's kind of intertwined with everything, isn't it? You know, we kind of feel like, okay, if they're not eating well, it means they're not growing well. It means they're not sleeping well. You know, when one thing affects everything else and so you know as parents and I'm exactly the same I felt this with my boys as babies and I feel it with them now even with different aspects of of development but you know we think we just put so much pressure on ourselves and we want to do what's right we want everything to fall into place and food sometimes I think particularly my boys were terrible sleepers so you know there's there's sort of this hope even though with what I do as a profession I knew that weaning doesn't guarantee sleep but there's just this little Hope, hope. <laughs> that maybe if they eat really well they'll start to sleep better and so we put pressure on ourselves you know and um babies can interpret that pressure you know they can they that pressure will wear off on them and actually the best thing you can do at meal times is sit back relax take the pressure off just let them play and explore and learn and they will all do it in their own time for some babies it does take much longer and that is not unusual so you know for anyone listening I do really want to reassure them that you know don't worry if your baby is not following the typical stages and ages take it at their pace follow their lead um you know maybe get in touch with a, a nutritionist or a dietitian if you're if you need some extra support but um generally they will all get there it's just about exposure and keep trying oh i love that catherine thank you so much i think food is such a difficult one isn't it because as soon as they're born we worry about feeding them whether that's breast yeah. bottle combination feeding so yeah. it's ingrained in us isn't it to feed your baby is your baby feeding enough we ask as midwives you know health visitors how often is your baby feeding it's such a like massive yeah. part of our role as a parent or a mother so it's no wonder that that transfers into weaning but but i guess it's quite nice to think actually at this point you can take a little bit of a breather, you know, and allow allow them to take the lead a little bit. Yeah. And you can step back and relax rather than feeling this immense pressure to, you know, rush through this next stage and get them on three full meals a day and ensure they're loving every mouthful. Just just take a breather. Definitely. Absolutely. Everyone that comes on, Catherine, I like to ask for three top tips. So I wonder whether you could share your three top tips to a successful as possible weaning journey with your little one. Absolutely. Okay. So I think we, I've probably talked about some of these tips already as we've been going through, but the first one is to follow baby's lead. Just as we were talking about, you know, don't, don't um, rush it. We talk a lot about responsive feeding and that'll be a, a term that you're very familiar with, Pip. The same thing applies with weaning, you know, when you're breastfeeding or when you're bottle feeding, you know when your baby has had enough because they'll come off the breast, um, you, you know, particularly with breastfeeding, you don't know how much they're having. So you put trust in your baby to feed to how much they want to feed. They feed to their own appetite and then they stop. And we want to continue that process of responsive feeding all the way through childhood, really. Um, so avoid that kind of, you know, aeroplane spoon coming through the sky, one more mouthful, train going into the tunnel. Just follow your baby's lead. If they want to take things slowly and they just want to look and smell at the food to begin with, that's absolutely fine. Don't put pressure on them to take more and more spoonfuls. Um, follow your baby's lead, go at their pace. That's tip number one. Um, tip number two would be to have fun with weaning. It can be such a daunting period, I think. Um, you know, it's completely new and it's completely new for your baby too. So it might be that at first 
just the simple act of getting into the high chair, putting a bib on, being introduced to the bowl and the spoon, all of that can be quite overwhelming and overstimulating for them. So that might be enough for their first meal, even before you've got the food in that bowl. Um, So just play, have fun, explore, allow your baby to make a mess. Um, I always say to parents that it's such a sensory experience and it's so weaning is so much more than about what goes in one end and comes out the other. You know, it's it's really um, embracing food with all of their senses. So let them get their hands stuck in there. Let them smear it on their face. Let them throw it on the ceiling and on the floor, you know, take precautions against the mess particularly if you are a bit OCD like me and you're worried about your car I'm sitting there like oh god did you have to share that tip (laughs) (laughs) it's so important though because if babies learn that food is fun they are more likely to want to explore it they're more likely to enjoy meal times um you know whereas if they feel that meal times are a time when food is going to kind of be pushed upon them or you know it's a real time of anxiety for everybody around the table that's not the the ideal kind of feeding environment and I know that's so much easier said than done but we really want it just to be about fun about playtime, about exposure and the rest will usually follow into place very soon after that but it is have fun embrace the mess that's tip number two um, and tip number three is to keep trying And I think this applies not just to weaning, but, you know, I also work with a lot of families with fussy eaters, you know, who are a bit older, kind of toddler years and even beyond. And as as I've kind of said throughout this podcast, it can take time. Not every baby is going to take to their food brilliantly to begin with. And that is completely normal. Um, So as well as, as having fun and as well as following baby's lead, just keep trying, keep exposing them to foods. Babies don't really know what they do and they don't like at this stage. You know, everything is adaptable and we have a real opportunity to adapt those taste buds. Kind of what we were talking about earlier on about this innate preference towards sweet tasting food we can use vegetables to manipulate those preferences so it might be that you perhaps offer avocado or broccoli three or four times and baby refuses it every time that doesn't mean that they don't like it keep trying leave it a few days try again leave it a few days again and keep trying with those same foods because repeated exposure is really really key so don't give up with a food particularly if it's something that's really important to you as a family it's something that you cook with often or you eat regularly as a family even if your baby is being quite stubborn and doesn't take to that food kind of for the first 15 or 16 times don't worry keep trying leave it a few days and introduce it again and it really is that kind of perseverance and repeated exposure that can help in the long term but it it can be a long game that you need to play um, but it's worth it to persevere Oh, Catherine, you're a star. Thank you so much for all of your awesome knowledge. And the pouches that we've discussed that, well, this evening, because in true mum style, we are recording this uh, just before eight o'clock at night, um, but you're probably not listening to it in the evening. But those pouches that we have been talking about, I'll also link in the episode description. So if you want to check those out and are aiming for a veg-led approach, you can find them there too. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for all of your wisdom and lovely to chat. I hope I get to chat to you again very soon. Me too. Thank you for having me, Pip. Thank you for tuning in today. I hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as I did. I'd be hugely grateful if you could take a moment to leave a quick review. 
It honestly means the world to me to hear from you as a listener. And of course, to ensure you don't miss upcoming episodes, hit subscribe too. Remember, I'm here to support you through pregnancy, birth and beyond through my range of pregnancy, birth prep and postpartum courses at midwifepip.com. I hope to get to know you better and to help you on your empowering journey soon. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.